Good morning. You know, it was at the beginning of this year that uh, I was reading Paul's letter to Timothy. Uh, Timothy, who was a younger brother in Christ, somebody that was very dear to Paul, like a son. Um, they walked together in Christ, and uh, Timothy was in this huge metropolitan city called Ephesus. And there, Paul had labored three years, quite a stint of his time. I don't think he spent that length of time in any one place other than Ephesus. But now Timothy is uh, leading the work that Paul began there. And Paul is writing him, and we have two letters from Paul to Timothy, appropriately called 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Well, I was reading in 1 Timothy, and I didn't get very far when I came to the 12th verse of the first chapter. And these words just jumped off the page to me. And at that moment, I thought, I'm going to talk about this, uh, Lord willing, on Resurrection Sunday. These are the words. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Now just let that sink in a moment. I thank him, him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. That word translated, give strength, is in Greek the word to empower to enable, that enabling power. Obviously for Paul, and here is really the hook of all this, obviously for Paul, Jesus is not dead. He is risen. And there's more. See the words at the end of verse 12? appointing me to his service or, you know, putting me into his work, into his ministry, calling me to work for Jesus. That's what he's saying. You see those words at the end of verse 12? Well, what Paul is pointing to is to an event some 27 or 28 years before writing this letter to Timothy. So when he talks about God's strength that he knows in his experience, when he talks about Jesus empowering him, he's talking about a regular kind of thing over 27 or 28 years going back to this event when Jesus put him, in other words, Jesus said, quit working against me and work for me. That's what he's referring to. And Paul says, look at, the, look at the verse that follows, verse 13. At that time, says Paul, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a belligerent, which means like an insolent, like a cussed man. 
But now he's changed, you see. This power he's talking about, this power is transforming power. It's life-giving. I know we love superpowers. Man, what's with the proliferation? You know, when I was a kid growing up, there was Superman and then Spider-Man, and now there's this pantheon. We crave power. We want to be in control, but we really don't have the magic. And the saddest and most crippling thing is we don't even have the power to change ourselves, to be the person we want to be, the person that we need to be for the people around us, for the job, for the teacher, or whatever is required of us. But that's the power that Jesus represents, life transforming power. And that's what Paul's talking about here power that he knows and has experienced and that has changed and transformed him. There's something else I want you to see. Paul's writing to Timothy from Rome, not Ephesus, you see. He's writing to Ephesus, and he's writing from the imperial city where he is in custody awaiting trial. That's important to know as we read these words of his. And I want to take us back because he's waiting for trial before the emperor Nero, the one that set Rome on fire. And you can read about Paul's arrest in Acts chapter 21, beginning at verse 15 and read all the way through chapter 26 because it's kind of a long ordeal that covers a number of years. And right now when Paul is writing Timothy, he's looking back on that event of his arrest, arrest, so to speak, which was probably four years before at this point in his life. And I just want to draw our attention to two verses that are recorded in the book of Acts They're the words of the governor over the Jewish people in that land that they occupied. And his name is Porcius Festus. That's how they say it in Latin. And Governor Festus was troubled. Here's what we need to know. At that time, Paul was in Jerusalem, which was the heart of, of the Jewish people and their land. And he was in the temple area. And he began to talk to his own people, the Jewish people, about Jesus Christ. And a mini riot broke out. And the authorities had to step in. And Paul was arrested. And the governor Porcius Festus, Governor Festus was made aware of this. And now he doesn't know what to do with Paul. And so if we look at these two verses in Acts chapter 25, verse 19 and 20, this is what he says. He's talking to another high official, and this is how he summarizes it. He says, they were arguing about their own religious superstitions and about a dead guy 
Jesus, whom Paul insisted was alive. See, that's the way it looked to the Romans. Some kind of internecine, in-group, in-house argument. And uh, some guy named Jesus, who's dead, Paul claims, he insists, is alive. Well, you see, that's important to note. Jesus really did die. But it's also important to note is that Paul knows he's certain, he insists he's alive. And he knows his power in his own life. Even after 27 and 28 years, it's a real power. Jesus is not dead. Paul says, he's the power of my life, verse 12. And when Paul says how grateful he is who, to him who's given me strength, not only has it been 27 or 28 years, but in those years, Paul has been telling people about Jesus Christ around the Mediterranean, and at this point, there are people between Jerusalem and Rome, churches dot the landscape because Paul has been talking, and they themselves have given their lives in submission to Jesus Christ. Paul's goal, he says, and he writes this in a letter to Colossae, another church city. In the very opening chapter, he says, here's my goal. Here's what I'm trying to do. This is my purpose. And this he starts saying in verse 27. He says, my purpose is to make known the glorious riches of what God is doing through Christ. And then he uses this wonderful expression, Christ in you the hope of glory. Not just in me, see. It isn't just me or for me, says Paul. It's for everyone. And then a sentence later, in verse 29, he says this. For this work, I strive, I toil, I work hard. Listen to these words. With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Had you ever noticed that? This isn't just something that lives in our head. This is something that lives and thrives in our life, in our decision-making, because Jesus lives. And his death-conquering power is a power that is ours in all of life, not just the good, even the worst. It's not only Jesus' life and power that he knows he wants us to experience. The word that he uses in verse 12 of 1 Timothy is, is enthenomao. Now, I just mentioned that that's written in Greek. Enthenomao, because we find it in some other places, and I want to point some of them out to you. In his letter to the Ephesian church, chapter 6, verse 10, and like them, he would be speaking to us. To you, he says, get your strength, find your strength, become strong in the Lord, in Dinamao. 
become strong in Dina Mono, Mono in the Lord and the strength of his power. In 2 Timothy, that second letter I mentioned, chapter 2, verse 1, he urges Timothy, get your strength, the strength you need in Christ Jesus. And in the same letter, in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, again using the same word, he tells Timothy about his first trial hearing. And this is kind of touching because Paul says, when I was in that hearing, when I was on trial, nobody stood with me. I was all alone. Nobody appeared to be with me. Can you imagine the trial of your life? Your life hangs in the balance, and no one stands with you. No one shows up for you. But notice what Paul says. This is, you're going to have alone times when no one stands with you. You want what Paul has, and listen to what he says. He says, no one showed up to support me, but Christ was present. Christ stood with me and strengthened me in Dinamao. I can imagine Paul talking to others. You know, he didn't express himself just in letters. Between all those letters were hours and hours of people as he crisscrossed the Mediterranean. I can, I can hear him. You probably can too if you know his letters. But imagine him saying, hey, sister or brother, have you talked to Jesus about this? You know, people come to Paul. Why wouldn't they? A man of his stature and faith, an apostle. And he's saying, have you talked to Jesus? That's who I talk to. That's where I get my power. That's where my energy is. That's where my strength is found. But how often do we go to others and not to him? He's risen. He's not dead. He's the power of your life by faith. He's the truth that guides you in life. And it is in that truth. It is in talking to him, listening to him, believing in him, going forward in him, that you will know his power. That power of Jesus is power to do what's right, not what's wrong. We can do all that on our own. We don't need Jesus' help to do what's wrong. I'm doing just fine in that area. But now, yeah, it's a battle when when I came into the power of Jesus in my life, there's a whole new force at work. You see, we need his power, power we don't have to love, to do the just thing, to forgive, to show mercy, to meet hate with kindness, to do things we can't do without Jesus. That's where it begins, you see, because all of those qualities that mercy, that forgiveness, that joy, that goodness, that's what Jesus shows to us. And it's out of that that we show it to others in his strength. If there was ever, ever a rascal that didn't deserve God's love, it was Paul. Look at what he writes in verses 13 and 14. Because remember, Jesus is not dead. Paul says he's changed my life. 
Paul is called to work for Jesus rather than against him. It, it continues to astonish him as he says here in verse 13, I was not the best guy for the job. I was, in fact, the worst. I was a blasphemer. You see, Paul denounced Jesus. He wasn't just on the sidelines trying to see who was going to win in this battle. He was out to stamp out Christianity. In the very early days of the Christian faith, he saw it as a threat, and he denounced Jesus. He bullied Christians. In fact, he says, I persecuted them, which means I hunted them down in the authority of the authorities of this land that he was in. He hunted them down. He dragged them to trial. And when they were on trial, listen, he voted against them for the death penalty. There were people that owed to Paul the vote that sent them to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means when he says, I was a blasphemer. That's what it means when he says, I was a persecutor. And that's what it means when he says, I was a belligerent man, or an arrogant man, as some translations say, or an insolent man. I got to be honest with you. And this is language that we hear all the time. Paul was a heartless bastard. He bullied people with his knowledge of right and wrong. There was no place in his heart for mercy. But look at what he says in verse 14. You see, it was to that man on the job to fight against Jesus that Jesus revealed himself. As he was on his way to Damascus, and Jesus said to he was named Saul then. He changed his name. I would too. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, now Paul, in verse 14 says, I was met with grace and love. I don't know where you are this morning. You might be that kind of man. No mercy in your heart. No good. No hope. No joy. No meaning. It could be that and more. In Jesus, you'll be met with grace and love. And it's from there we begin a life of grace and love. Jesus is not dead. He saved me, Paul says, and he can save you in verses 15 through 17. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Then he makes the point, I should know, Paul speaking, because I was the worst. I was the chief. Teaching of the Bible is that sin destroys your freedom. The teaching of the world is that sin, sinning, expresses your freedom. One ends in death. The freedom of Jesus ends in life. Do you know that when you're right with God, you're right with the world? You're right with everybody around you? And that's a right place to be. 
If you're wondering whether Jesus can help you this morning, Paul has you in mind. He says, I'm an example to all others of what Jesus can do. And then in verse 16, he says, I'm an example for those who will believe in Jesus for eternal life. I know this to be true in my own life. It started with a humble prayer. And prayer, a prayer such as this, is a moment of commitment, of recognition, who Jesus is. It's a defining moment that he is the risen Christ. He's not dead. He's risen, and it's for me. This morning, I'd like us to bow our heads, if you will. Because I'd like to share my prayer. And this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ, but God has spoken to your heart this morning. His spirit is moving, always moving. You have an opportunity. You may not have the words. I'm going to share my humble wording It's the wording with which I began my walk of faith, my walk of trust in Jesus. You see, God knows our hearts already. It's not important to God the words so much as it is important the attitude of our hearts. So as I pray, if you would pray with me, if it expresses your heart, Invite Christ with these words to be the Lord of your life. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and for giving me eternal life. I give you control of my life by faith. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Dear Lord, you be the power of my life. In your name, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, it's a pretty marvelous thing to think that as we go on to sing in the next few moments, resurrecting and as we go on to cite the Apostles Creed and as we sing the words this I believe you will be singing these things for the first time as a child of God with the family of God I praise the Lord for that let's sing resurrecting